need to stop drinking carbonated things like before and while we record this <laughs> podcast because I every episode I have to edit out a gnarly ass burp. Or you could just every single I mean, one. You don't have to edit it out. I don't want there to be a gnarly burp in every episode. It could be our thing. It could be our new signature thing. I mean, it practically already is <laughs> at this point. Now, I'll just save like the all burp cut for when we make a Patreon later or something. <laughs> I cannot wait for that. It's going to be a blast. Well, hello there, all you vicious little parasites. Welcome back to another episode of Creeptology, the podcast. I'm the first of your hosts on this chilly autumn evening, Salem. And today I identify as the look of pure chaos in my cat Gigi's eyes before she attacks. With me today, as always, is my favorite blood-sucking badass, Michaela. Ooh, that be me. Ooh. Cha uh, uh, cha. What do you identify as today? Um, still, I identify as that. Uh, uh, I hate everything. I, All right, sorry. What do you identify as? <laughs> uh, let's just say I identify as that beautiful, melodious, carbonated burp you just had. Thank you. I try. I try my damnedest. You, you did well. Yeah. And there's yeah. another one. There's another one. <laughs> well, today's tale is one filled with monsters, murder, curses, and cryptids. It's all our favorite things. Where cults have been known to roam, UFOs keep watch from overhead. We are traveling east to an area overrun with paranormal phenomena and too many reports to keep track of. An area that some people believe lies on the edge of our reality and others. What some may call the mystery zone of New England, today we are talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. Ooh. So is it like the Bermuda Triangle, but in New England? Pretty much, yeah. So like in... This term, when we talk about triangle, it's somewhere where an influx of strange or paranormal happenings have happened. So it's not necessarily a legit triangle? At the time that it was named, yes, it was a triangle. As more stories have come out from the Bridgewater Triangle, it's kind of evolved shapes. And now it's not exactly triangle shaped. So we're just going to refer to it as just a hot spot for lots of creepy shit. My sources for today's topic come from bridgewaterpubliclibrary.org, paranormalencyclopedia.com, a documentary on Amazon Prime titled The Bridgewater Triangle, Ooh. Wikipedia, it's one of your favorite sources, Michaela, <laughs> and an article written by Lauren Coleman and Peter Rodman from the April 1980 issue of Boston Magazine titled The Bridgewater Triangle. I was going to say, no cryptids with a Z? I mean, I got kind of close. I have paranormalencyclopedia.com and Wikipedia, but that's like the closest I'm going to get to cryptidswithaz.com. I, I thought that was an org. No, that was a .com. You had an org in there, but oh, that was okay. absolutely a com. I got you. Well, have you heard about the Bridgewater Triangle at all? I haven't. Nada. Zip. Zilch. Awesome. Well, this will be super fun then. I'm excited. You're the cutest flappy bird I've ever seen. My God. Thank you. In my hoodie, my oversized hoodie. Like Michaela, for those who have never heard of the Bridgewater Triangle, it's an area 30 miles south of Boston that's made up of about 200 square miles in the greater Bridgewater, Massachusetts area. The triangle is made up of the cities of Abington, Freetown, and Rehoboth at the Angles and contains the cities of Brockton, Taunton, Raynham, Mansfield, Norton, Easton, and Bridgewater in the dead center. The area, which was named by New England-based cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, is claimed to be the site of many strange paranormal phenomena, UFO sightings, poltergeist, cryptid sightings, giant snakes, thunderbirds, and more. I'm sensing another destination for our little field trips. Well, you would absolutely be correct, because before we get into the abundance of horror stories that come from the Triangle, first we need to look into the extremely interesting and brutal past of the area. Within the Triangle itself is a near 17,000 acre freshwater swamp that has many ties to the strange things going on. 
It's named Hockamock Swamp. It's also the largest freshwater swamp in the state and one of the largest in the United States, which is kind of interesting. Well, the swamp used to serve many important purposes to the people who lived near it, which was the Wampanoag tribe. The native people of the Wampanoag tribe lived off the land and would hunt the animals that inhabited the area for food. The swamp was also used as a fortress by the Wampanoag tribe throughout the 17th century. The native people worshipped and feared Hobomok, the chief deity of death and disease. So as a tribute, they named the swamp after him. Hmm. And Hakamok translates to the place that spirits dwell. During the 17th century, it served as a base of operation during the King Philip War as a place for King Philip to plan and launch strategic attacks on British colonizers. Well, King Philip, formerly known as Metacom or Metacomet, was actually a native tribal leader, and he led his tribe to rebel against the English settlers who were trying to take over the area. Per capita, it was one of, if not the bloodiest war in U.S. history. 500 colonizers died, while 3,000 of the Wampanoag people got killed, burned alive, or sold into slavery. At the end of the war, King Philip was decapitated, and his head was put on a spike where it was displayed for 25 years as a warning to the other tribes in the area. The Hockamock Swamp, which was considered a sacred Native American site, was deemed to be worthless by the English, And they attempted to drain the swamp and convert it into farmland. No wonder there's so much hooky things going on there. Oh, yeah. And just wait. It gets better. Oh, there's more? But wait, there's more. (laughs) But wait, there's more. First, we're going to head back to our main star. Within the area of the triangle, there are quite a few different but equally strange landmarks. First, we have the 8,000-year-old Native American burial site in the Hockamock Swamp that was discovered by Massachusetts archaeologists. I knew there was going to be an Indian burial ground around here somewhere. Well, yeah, you don't have a war where Native American tribes are living and not have a Native American burial ground in that area. I just thought, weird stuff. It's got to be a Native American burial ground. It's always a Native American burial ground. It is. Always. So as the archaeologists were working on exhuming the graves, they discovered a red ochre that was lining the bottom of the caskets. But what was strange about it was that when the caskets and tombs were opened, the red ochre would bubble and then disappear. Also, any photos taken of the exhibition were not able to be developed or came out too blurry to see. So something really didn't want them uh, having photo evidence. Yeah. But nah, that's mine. Nah, 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 nah. You don't need that. <laughs> Those are from me. That's mine, but thanks. <laughs> well, on the riverbank directly across from the Grassy Island burial ground is Dighton Rock. It's a stone covered in different hieroglyphics and patterns that have been carved into the rock. The carvings in Dighton Rock have been attributed to Native Americans, Vikings, and even Phoenicians, although their identity has never been specifically determined. So they don't know what it says? No. Huh. It's like unable to be translated. Wild. Another landmark found in the Triangle area is Profile Rock. Looking at the rock from a specific angle reveals the face of a Native American looking out from it. It is said to be a sacred place, and local legends say that ghost dancers in Native American warrior dresses will appear and dance around the rock. An old Wampanoag tribal relic was stolen after the King Philip's War named the Wampum Belt, and this was a leather belt that had etched in generations of Wampanoag tribe history. And because this belt was stolen, it's said to be the root cause for a lot of the paranormal activity in the area. I mean, understandable. No one likes a thief. Yeah, especially like a murderous one who just like comes into your home, Mm -hmm. murders everybody, steals your shit, and then calls your home trash. It's like, this place is garbage. This is barren land. This is fucking 
nasty, bro. Let's drain this swamp. Make it into farms. That's what white people do. I mean, genocide is just not appealing. Nah. To other people. Just the whites. Unfortunately. <laughs> not this white. Th- that'd be another one for the book <laughs> edit. When paranormal investigators went to the area of Profile Rock and started talking about the wampum belt, their equipment malfunctioned at any mention of it like their cameras would turn off their sound would just stop working and this happened multiple times while they were in that area um at this point though a lot of profile rock has fallen off after many years of vandalism because you know people suck i wanted to go ghost dancing around the rock well there's more places to go ghost dancing around rocks here you're not out of luck (laughs) oh good Good. As long as you're going ghost dancing with me. Oh, absolutely. We'll go ghost dancing and UFO hunting. I'm down. Yeah, because there have been lots of UFOs in this area. I get to meet my friends. Your friends. But the first report of paranormal activity in the Bridgewater Triangle was made three centuries ago in 1760. Hmm. May 10th, 1760, a sphere of fire was reportedly hovering over New England and emitting a light so bright that it cast shadows in the morning sun and was also seen from like three different towns. It's suspected that this was the first reported sighting of a UFO in history. Wow. Yeah. So as far as most people can tell, this was the first reported sighting of a UFO. Wow. And that was on my daughter's birthday. Yeah. Rosy shares a birthday with the first UFO sighting. That's kind of cool. No wonder she's so weird. (laughs) I love your daughter. It all makes sense now. The nebulent torso. Yes. The cryptid that my daughter lovingly came up with in Florida. I still have a picture of it on my phone. The drawing that she did of the nebulent torso that has a golden tongue as big as a house. (laughs) I still remember everything about it, dude. I thought it was one of the best things I've ever heard come out of a kid's mouth. In the Bridgewater Triangle, there are frequent reports of floating, glowing lights and sometimes other large, unidentified spacecrafts. UFO sightings in the Triangle have been more actively present since the 1960s, with most of the sightings happening in the 70s. In 1968, five people claimed that they saw a strange ball of light floating among the trees in a wooded part of Rehoboth. Another report from 1976 claimed two UFOs were seen landing along Route 44 near Taunton. One of the most famous UFO reports involved two newsmen who reported a UFO that was shaped like home plate, like in a baseball game. It was as wide as five 747s put together and had a cord sparking from the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. The craft was also flying and hovering low enough to the ground that you could throw a rock at it and hit it. Hmm. Yeah, so like... Not that high off the ground. I'm surprised they didn't hit any trees. How do we know if it didn't? Fair point. It could have hit some trees. (laughs) I blame that UFO for global warming. Who needs these trees? The Triangle decided it wanted to take a little break from UFOs in the 80s, but then in the 90s, UFOs were popping off all over the place. In 1991... A stereotypical green disc-shaped UFO moved slowly and silently about 50 feet up in the sky with a powerful spotlight that was emanating from it. Seen from 1994 through 1997 was a large triangular UFO with three white lights and two red star-shaped lights. In 1998, a third UFO was spotted with red, green, and white lights. The witness watched the lights split into two, fly off in separate high-speed directions, then reemerge together and take off into the night. It's kind of like the UFO that I saw when I was a kid. Do tell. I was in my backyard and there was a small grouping of lights that was like moving across the sky. And at first, you know, I assumed that it was like the space station or something, a satellite. But all of a sudden, it just dead stopped in the middle of the sky and then took off really fast the direction that it had just come from. Hmm. Yeah. Do you want to hear my UFO story? Absolutely, I do. I was hanging out South Fort Collins, but like kind of in like the nature areas that they have out there. So it was pretty dark. And it was similar to that where it was like, these groups of lights are like floating through the sky and yeah at first you're like ah it's an airplane it's whatever 
but they like stopped and then they kind of like circled around like in circles and then just kind of disappeared. I believe that there's lots of spooky shit that happens here. Like when I saw. Do you want to hear my theory on why the triangle did not decide to do aliens in the 80s? Yes, absolutely. I would love to hear this theory. <laughs> so the triangle or the aliens were so caught up in how interesting human culture was at the time of the 80s. I mean, you had the hair, you had the music, you had the really crappy, amazing movies. Come on. That they were so caught up in it. And then in the 90s, everything kind of just went and got really boring. And then they were like, eh, let's do some more UFO shit. You know, that's my theory. I feel like that's a really, really good theory. I accept that theory 100%. (laughs) I mean, the 80s had hair metal. What did the 90s have? I bet some aliens like shape-shifted or like, you know, dressed up like humans and got a part of that. It has to be true. Think of some of the musicians who are still alive. That should not be. I'm looking at you, Keith Richards. (laughs) What? I think it's, um, it might be David Lee Roth or Eddie Van Halen has a ufo story that also checks out yeah like tom DeLong literally left blink 182 to go hunt ufos he's back now and they're selling concert tickets for 800 fucking dollars but you know it's not very work sucks i know of you i would only go see blink 182 if tom DeLong talks about his ufo investigations and if he has alien merch right so you wouldn't even go for the music you're like alien stories alien yeah. stories right yeah I saw Blink-182 with My Chemical Romance and Rancid. I don't need to see them again. You saw them when they were good. Yeah. Well, eh, it's when Neighborhoods came out, so that's debatable. It's extremely debatable. Fair point. Fair point. Well, you want to hear a super fun UFO sighting that happened in the Bridgewater Triangle? Absolutely. All right. So this one is from 1974 when... Former President Ronald Reagan was flying over the Freetown Forest with an Air Force pilot and two security officers when all of them reported being followed by a strange light that would speed up, slow down, change shape, and then take off at hyperspeed while moving at a 45-degree angle. So yeah, even Ronald Reagan saw aliens here. Of course it was Ronald Reagan. Who else would it be? Well, the town of Raynham in the Triangle still frequently receives reports of glowing balls of light floating over their local dog park or dog track because they race dogs there, I guess. I'm assuming that's what dog track is like where you take like dog racing, like horse racing. You go to the horse track, you go to the dog track. Greyhound racing. It's a rich people thing. Unless it's just like a fancy name that they decided to call their dog park. We're like, we're going to go to the dog track today. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but it's one of those. Ah. But yeah, there's still often reported floating orbs of light over their dog arena. <laughs> I'm just going to call it the entirely wrong thing because I don't know what the fuck a dog track is because I am not that cultured. <laughs> I'm not cultured in that way, I should say. There you go. Freetown Forest, the lovely, lovely forest that Ronald Reagan was flying over, has also been nicknamed the Cursed Forest, is one of our other main locations for the paranormal odd goings-on in the Bridgewater Triangle area. Rumors of an underground bunker built under the forest are super well-known through the area, and in the documentary on Amazon Prime, they find it. They find it? So it is there. It's not just rumors. There is a bunker underneath Freetown Forest. Some people say that the bunker was used to hold and imprison this couple who had supposedly been abusing the children they'd adopt. So they would like foster and adopt kids and abuse them. And then this couple got held in this underground bunker and like beat and tortured for abusing children. Was it not made for something before that? Well, inside the bunker, they only find like, I don't know, like some kids' toys and a little bit of furniture. If you watch the documentary on Netflix, they show you, or not Netflix, Amazon. They show you everything that they find. But yeah, it's Hmm. very odd. That is mildly unsettling, yes. Yeah. The forest has also been known to be home to some unusual and out-of-place animal sightings, such as panthers and bears being seen in the area when 
they are not known to inhabit the New England area. You will not find panthers and bears in New England. Yeah. There have also been reports of giant snake, an enormous like eight foot vicious dog that roam the forest. So we have a basilisk and whatever the dog is called. I forget. I, my mind went to werewolf. You know what I'm talking Anamagus? about. Anamagus? No. Flu- an- are you, or that or fluffy? Yes. No. The three-headed dog? Animagus. No, the three-headed dog is... Um, an animagus is someone who can... Cerberus. ...transform into an animal. That's serious Black. Well, yeah. See, there's another word. Uh, my brain... I can't find the file. All of my useless Harry Potter knowledge that's going to go to waste because fuck J.K. Rowling. She's a turf. I mean, same. They were good books, though. That's why I couldn't be that sad when the actor who played Hagrid died because he sided with J.K. on all of that. Don't tell me that. But yeah, Basilisk and... A thing. <laughs> I'm going to say Fluffy because that's the three-headed dog that guards the uh, Sorcerer's Stone in the first one. I'm pretty sure it's Cerberus, isn't that? Yeah, that's Cerberus, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, outside of strange animals, there have also been fairly regular sightings of Bigfoot, ghosts, poltergeists, and shadow people. That just sounds like a party. Right? I see shadow people in my house. I've seen ghosts before. Bigfoot is like the only one that I feel like I haven't actually seen out of those. Mm-hmm. We'll make it happen. I will damn try. I told you that. I had a customer that would come in to the liquor store I used to work at all the time and tell us about his ghost hunting activities and how he swore he saw Bigfoot in Colorado. Yes, I love that story. Uh, He told me the story so many times, though, and it changed so many times that I don't think he's a credible source. That's fair. His shit's probably on like cryptids with a Z dot com. Most likely, although it would be interesting to interview him now that I'm thinking about it, but I don't want him to know where I live or where you live. No, that's entirely fair. Please do not give out my address to strange (laughs) men who just babble about Bigfoot. That is not the vibe I want coming to my house. Make for a good story. In 1970, reports of a Bigfoot-esque, seven-foot-tall, hairy monster and the footsteps that were left behind by it created enough concern for the police department to conduct a search for a bear with their canine unit. But, to no avail, no Bigfoot, bear, or man were found in the forest. No man-bear pig? No man-bear pig either. Ah, darn it. I know it's rather unfortunate. This is very disappointing, actually. You know, it's not as disappointing. Mm. The sightings of giant pterodactyl-like creatures that have wingspans between eight and 12 feet that have been nicknamed Thunderbirds. Well, that's just cool. That's just straight up cool. I want to see pterodactyls. I fucking love Rodan. Are you kidding me? I, I would. I want to see pterodactyls. Well, then let's go to the New England area, hang out in the forest, and maybe we could see some burbs. Big old burbs. <gasps> I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thinking of our 10-year friendiversary trip. I'm so down. You know me. I'm so down. Oh, yeah. I mean, you mentioned going to that area before. Now we have a destination. Yeah. I've never been to the New England area, and I've always wanted to go. And now I have multiple reasons. I mean, Mothman alone, but you know. Yeah, that's West Virginia. We'd have to go down the coast a little bit for that one, because this is Massachusetts. It's all the same in my mind. It's all We could go to, like, Salem, though. That would be cool. Fuck yeah, I would. Well, the first sighting of a thunderbird originated in Hockamock Swamp at a place aptly named Bird Hill. In 1984, two thunderbirds were seen fighting in midair over the forest by many people. Hmm. I just like how creative they were with the name. The thunderbirds? No, the Bird Hill. They're just like, oh, it's a, it's a hill. I see birds. Bird Hill, right. Oh, look, it's a hill. We saw birds here. It's a fucking Bird Hill. Yeah. A plus for creativity, guys. Love it. I mean, they they were pretty good with their names for like the rest of shit. True. True. Although Bigfoot and Thunderbirds have been seen in the area, the most notable cryptid is one that was considered by the Wampanoag to be a rather dangerous trickster. The Puckwudgie. The name Puckwudgie 
Also known as, I'm going to butcher this because these are all like native names and I'm sure I'm pronouncing them wrong regardless. But also known as Bagwajanini translates to person of the wilderness. Mm. Puckwudgies appear in lore from different tribes from Wampanoag tribes of New England to the Algonquian tribes of the Great Lakes area. Pretty decent chunk of the United States. People have seen these. So what what is a Puckwudgie? What does it look like? What is this thing? Okay, well, Puckwudgies range anywhere from knee height to about three feet tall. They have human-like features, but larger ears, noses, and fingers. They also have smooth gray skin and have been compared to the likes of trolls and goblins. I was going to say, it's basically gremlins. Yeah, little gray trolls. It's gremlins. Little goblins running around. The level of harm that Pukwudgies can deal out changes depending on the region that they're found and the lore that they come from. At their best, they're extremely helpful. And at their worst, they're murderous. That's a broad range right there. Yeah, super broad range. That's why most people recommend if you come across a Pukwudgie, just turn tail and run. Get out of there. There's no good that's going to come from running into a Pukwudgie. Like, just fucking leave. The Wampanoag people have a pretty detailed story about the origins of the mischievous creature. The legend goes that the Pukwudgies and humans used to get along and coexist really well in harmony. The humans, however, got distracted by the relationship they had with Moshop, a kind deity who created the landmass that we call Cape Cod. The Pukwudgies became really jealous of this relationship and started causing mischief for the humans. The Wampanoag people went and spoke with Moshop's wife, and the Pukwudgies were banished across North America. Slowly, they started working their way back to New England, where they then murdered Moshop's five sons out of spite, and many variations say that they killed Moshop as well. Wow. Yeah, so they just got real jealous. I mean, and then they got banished. That sounds like some toxic ass behavior to me. But then they got banished, so like you can't. Because they started causing problems. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's not how you solve a problem either. They started causing problems, so they got kicked out. And they're like, we're going to come back and we're going to murder like six people. Yeah, but that ain't how you solve problems either. You don't just banish them away. They always come back. Yeah, bloodthirsty and ready for murder. 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 Puckwudgies have been comparable to leprechauns from Irish lore. Puckwudgies in general, though, are just nasty little bastards. Hmm. Not only do they have a short temperament, they have a series of tricks up their sleeves that help make mischief against humans incredibly easy. They have been known to appear and disappear at will. They can shapeshift, with their most common form being a porcupine. They can use magic, create fire, and launch poison arrows. One woman reported being harassed by a puckwudgie as it tapped on her window nightly to purposefully disturb her sleep. <laughs> puckwudgies have also been known to kidnap people, push them off of cliffs, attack victims with short knives and spears, and blind them with sand. <laughs> pocket full of sand. Mr. Sandman, bring me some sand held in your pocket, propelled by your hand. Pocket sand. Pocket sand. <laughs> exactly. It is also rumored that Puckwudgies have the power to control the spirits of people that they have killed. Mm. The first mention of Puckwudgies was in the poem, The Song of Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. But now, the lore of the Puckwudgie is so widely known that the police in Freetown, Massachusetts have put up a Puckwudgie crossing sign near the state forest. That's kind of fun. I want to get a picture of it. I severely want to get a picture of it. We will get a picture of it. When we go there, it will happen. Mm -hmm. If you build it, they will come. Puckwudgies have also been known to lurk around an infamous spot in Freetown National forest called the ledge. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, the, ledge. the ledge is a hundred foot cliff where many have been known to take their own lives. Though it is speculated by some that Puckwudgies lured people to their deaths and shoved them off the cliffs. People seldom plan on going to the ledge to jump off, but once they arrive, they are hit with an intense feeling of unshakable sadness and the desire to end their life. So it's like the sadness swamp in the never-ending story. Yeah, 
it's exactly like that. Except it's a hundred foot cliff that people jump off of instead of a swamp that swallows up Artex. No, Artex. I still can't believe that that was the first exposure to never-ending story that Sydney ever had. Was when I Snapchatted her that scene because I thought she had seen the damn movie. And then she just snaps me back. Why did you send me a horse dying? It's a never-ending story. She's never seen it. She doesn't know. She didn't know. Now she does. (laughs) Now she knows. (laughs) This is kind of a sad fact about the ledge is that there are a lot of abandoned cars found there because people will drive up with the intention of looking at the view and then get the unshakable urge to jump off and kill themselves. So they find a lot of abandoned cars up at the ledge. That's why when we go, we go in pairs. Yeah. I don't know if I would trust that even. A man named John Brightman went to the ledge Mm. and recounts breaking down, like seriously breaking down after hearing a spirit whisper to him to jump or leave. So he turned around and left. Smart. But was, yeah, you know, that's why he was able to uh, recount that because he left. But people aren't a hundred percent sure if the voices are tied to the tribal curse of the land or the various occult happenings that have happened at the ledge. The ledge is also a huge hub for UFO sighting. Naturally. The ledge was near the area of the forest where Ronald Reagan saw the supposed UFO. Hmm. There's also been a sighting of a paranormal apparition named the Lady on the Ledge. She's a ghost in white who jumps off of the cliff and then vanishes immediately when you go to stop her from jumping or check on her to see if she's okay. See, here's what I propose. We go to the ledge, but we don't go to the ledge. We just get close enough to be like, oh, yeah, that's the ledge. Nice. And then we skedaddle. See, if you were to, like, if I were to go see the ledge... I would take rope and bungee cord or something with me and tie myself to like a tree or something. Just like a little bit of extra reinforcement because I don't fuck with heights as is, dude. Like, you know that. Well, yeah, that's why I'm not saying we're not going to the ledge. We're just going to the ledge to like take see a picture it from and far leave. away. Right. Yeah, and then leave. See it from far away. We're not going up to the ledge of the ledge. Damn right I'm not. I'm not either. I don't like heights either. That's asking for murder. Asking for straight death. I mean, I like death, but I like it at arm's length. Thank you very much. Yeah, I like it through a screen mm-hmm. when I'm learning. Arm's length in a book on a screen. Not as a firsthand experience. The lady on the ledge is just one of many ghosts that are known to inhabit the Bridgewater Triangle area. A red-headed hitchhiker has been known to hunt a stretch of Route 44 in Rehoboth. It's been said that if you have three passengers in your car and make eye contact with the red-headed hitchhiker as you drive by, they will suddenly appear in the empty seat in your car, but then vanish once they're noticed in the rearview mirror. Mm-mm. 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 Nope. 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 I was really excited to get to the ghosty portion because I know a lot of these are really going to give you the heebie-jeebies. I mean, the, the lady of the ledge, I, no, just the, looking in your rear view mirror, uh, nope. Mm-mm. Oh, just wait, the redheaded hitchhiker. It's one of the creepier ones for sure, but it's not, in my opinion, it is not the creepiest that I have to tell you today. <laughs> Go on. There's a ghostly trucker who is also rumored to speed along the winding Copacut Road, blaring his horn and threatening passing motorists. The angry ghost trucker will drive you off the road before vanishing. There have been quite a few unsettling accounts of ghost activity in the Triangle. Some report seeing a little boy sitting on a brick wall, and everyone who sees him says that his limbs look broken because when he runs off, he looks like a marionette. (sighs) Anyone that meets him says that he gives off extremely sinister energy and he will ask you to stay forever and play with him. So I think that it could be something trying to impersonate a child that just isn't getting it quite right. And that's why something always seems off. Like a puckwudgie. Yeah, they can't shapeshift into people, Mm. though. They shapeshift into tiny animals. 
<sighs> Once again, still not the creepiest story, in my opinion. I, I go on. This is the creme de la creme. Oh, is this, the, is this the good one? In my opinion, this is the freakiest one. This one gave me the, like, heebie-jeebies. Like, real bad. The, the jeebies? The jeebies. Like, bad jeebs, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, in the Bridgewater Triangle area, there are 13 one-room schoolhouses. So, like, old-school schoolhouses. As of today, one of them is still standing, and it's been converted into a museum. The schoolhouse was built in the 1840s and used until the 1930s. People who have visited the schoolhouse have reported hearing voices and feeling an extremely eerie energy as they walk around the place. A woman who went to visit the area assumed that the museum was closed, but the shutters on the window were open, so out of curiosity, she went and looked inside. When she looked in, she saw a school teacher with a whole class of children sitting in front of her. She assumed that what was going on inside the building was a reenactment and decided to try the front door, which to her luck was locked. When she went back around to look in the window again, the teacher and the children were still there, but all of them had turned and were staring at her. They all then faded away at the same time. Just imagine all those eyes of like ghost children staring at you. Ghost children. I mean, children are creepy enough as it is. Agreed. But then regular children are creepy. Yeah. And we have license to say that because we're parents. But then like you just add the ghost factor. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, thanks. In my personal opinion, the hitchhiker is still the scariest because it's like in your car, in your space. It's freaky. And uh, there's something about looking in mirrors and seeing stuff you shouldn't be seeing or shouldn't be there. Like, uh, 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 uh. There have been reports of a luminous glowing cloud that hangs over the forest. That's pretty cool. As well as an EVP recording that has been picked up and captured on multiple occasions by different groups of people of a woman singing like old tavern songs very very clearly what color is the cloud i don't know it didn't say just said a glowing cloud so i assume white but in like a dark sky this cloud would be glowing it gave me like welcome to night vale vibes i don't know if you've ever if you know anything about night vale but all hail the glow cloud yes i listened to a little bit of that yeah but it just makes me think of like (laughs) because you know I'm five. It just made me think of like a green glowing mass of fart. I can't even say that my brain didn't also go there when I was first (laughs) reading about this. So like you're not alone. It's because we share a brain cell. Well, duh. Mm -hmm. In Norton, near the King Phillips Cave, there have also been reports of phantom campfires ghostly drums and light orbs. So with phantom campfires, people would see these fires from like really far away or not like that far away, but like other side of the lake. And when they would go over there, there was no fires, no ashes, no traces of there ever being a fire. And then they would return to where they initially saw the fire from and it would be back. Mm. Boopy ghost fire. Ghost fires. Trigger warning. This part, this next little bit of the podcast might get, well, it is going to get a little graphic. This is the, uh, where we talk about all the murders and cult stuff that has happened. So if you're squeamish about body things, maybe don't listen to the next little bit. It gets kind of (laughs) bad. In the triangle, throughout the 70s through 90s, cult activity, especially that involving animal mutilation and sacrifice, was on the rise in the towns of Freetown and Fall River specifically. Like, Freetown and Fall River were the epicenters for satanic cult activity in the Triangle. Hmm. If the name Fall River sounds familiar at all, because it already had its fair share of rumors, due to it being the longtime home of Lizzie Borden, who allegedly murdered her father and stepmother with an axe in 1890. Uh, when did the cults take place? Uh, 1970s through, like, 1990s. Okay. Same time period that a lot of like the UFO sightings and stuff were. There was just like 30 years of crazy fucking paranormal activity happening out here. Starting in the 70s, black cloaked trespassers started becoming more regularly seen in the woods. 
and trails of blood with randomly placed animal body parts were found throughout the forest on a semi-regular basis. Local pet cemeteries also had to be shut down because so many of the graves were being exhumed and the bodies used for ritualistic purposes. A couple of teenagers were caught digging up a pet's grave at one of the local pet cemeteries. And when they were asked what they were doing and why, one of the teenagers responded, I thought it would make me more powerful if I drank from his skull. Ew. Yeah. So these are, you know, little house pets. Someone's little cat Fifi is getting its skull. I just keep thinking of Ramones. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. Literally, as I was writing this whole part, uh, that was like going through my head. (laughs) It was assumed that cult members would drink blood from the skulls of these dead animals as a sort of initiation into the cult. There were two reports in 1998 that involved animal mutilation or sacrifice. In the first instance, a cow was found butchered in the forest and its body parts were strewn all over the place. The other instance, a group of calves were found in a clearing after they had been brutally mutilated and their bodies completely drained of blood. Hmm. Aside from the animal mutilation, there was also a lot of other strange activity going on at the time. A man called the cops about suspicious activity that was coming from the shed in his backyard. When the cops arrived, there was a pentagram and specifically placed stones on the ground. The police gathered up everything that they had found for evidence, but when they came back later to follow up the next day, the pentagrams and stones had returned in the exact same place where they had been the day before. Was it the stones that they took for evidence? No, it was different stones laid out in the same, like, ritualistic pattern. Okay, so the stones didn't travel. Gotcha. No, the stones did not travel. Just new stones appeared. They didn't roll... The Rolling Stones. Do not. (laughs) You mentioned Keith Richards. I had to. I mean, I guess that's fair. I guess. (laughs) The Bridgewater Triangle is also home to the Taunton State Hospital, which was first opened in 1854. This former psychiatric hospital has a twisted history of lobotomies, electric shock therapy, and other cruel medical, or let's be real here, torture practice. Mm -hmm. The abandoned hospital was a common place for cult rituals to happen along with the ledge. The hospital itself has its own fair share of horrific tales, including one of a nurse who murdered 31 people, including hospital patients. How? Why? I didn't look into it that much. Oh, okay. I'm just getting the general gist. I couldn't do deep dives off of every little story that I found out about this place because there's so much and there's even a bunch that I wasn't able to fit in here for just time's sake. We'll have to do a part two at some point. We can deep dive the rest. Speaking of murders, the state hospital wasn't the only place to house gruesome murders. There was an ice logging building built in the 1940s that ended up being used for lots of illegal activity. A particular cult leader and pimp named Carl Drew, used the spot to kill sex workers, most of the time underage sex workers and single parents. So they would be these single parent 17-year-olds that would get roped into sex work for a living and then be indoctrinated by this guy into a sex worker cult. He would use his power as a cult leader to keep control over the sex workers by threatening to sacrifice them If they did not do their part. Not only were they like in this really uncomfortable, precarious position in the first place. They were also being told by this man that if you don't do what I say, I will kill you and sacrifice your soul to Satan. And then he actually sacrificed him. Right. Those poor people. I think, yeah, the ages of his victims were like 19, 17, 19, and 20. Those poor people. In 1979... He killed two sex workers named Donna, age 17, and Barbara, age 19. Cops originally only found skull fragments and clothing fragments, so the cops went undercover and joined the cult 
to try to figure out what was going on from the inside. A sex worker named Karen, who was age 20, admitted to the police that Carl and his right-hand woman, Robin, had killed Donna and Barbara. So Robin was also a sex worker, but instead of stepping back from the murder, she decided to be an active participant. Probably saved her own neck. That's probably what she was thinking. And the way that it turns out is, yeah, because after Karen admitted to the police that Carl and Robin had done this, Karen never showed up to her follow-up interview with the police about what had happened. Most of the articles say that only skull and clothing fragments were found for Karen also, but one article on murderpedia.org, all right, and this is going to get graphic, on murderpedia.org says that her fingernails and hair were ripped out while she was alive, that she got beaten over the head with stones, that Carl broke her neck and decapitated her, where then the cult kicked around her head for a while like it was a soccer ball before removing her fingers and carving a giant X into her chest. The fingernails. Why? Why? Yeah, dude. Uh, Yeah, dude. Fingernails. Uh. Well, thank fuck Carl was caught and sentenced to life in prison without parole. <gasps> Good. And Robin got a reduced sentence in prison. And she actually attempted to gain parole earlier this year in like March. I'm not opposed to it for her. Right. Because she was absolutely still a victim in this. In those times, though, you do what you can to survive. Like she may have felt that that was what she had to do to survive. And if you look at Karen. Bingo. Speaking up didn't go so well. And like even if some small part of her was like willing to do these murders or liked it, I kind of feel like she's done her time. I would definitely be more willing to accept Her being out on parole, I'm really happy that Carl has no chance of getting out on parole ever. That's a long sentence. I feel like she's probably suffered enough. Yeah. I mean, it's 2022 and this happened back in like 79. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, 79 to 22. Yeah. Perhaps one of the most famous murders of the area, though, was that of 15-year-old Mary Lou Arruda on September 8th. 1978, Mary Lou disappeared while she was on her way home from Bridgewater Raynham High School. Her bike was found on the side of the road half a mile from her house. After a week of intensive searching and a promise of $25,000, there was no evidence to point to where the missing girl could have gone. She had vanished without a trace, pretty much. Two months later, on November 11th, her body was found decomposed and decapitated, tied to a tree in Freetown State Forest. Her murder was also luckily caught and sent to prison for life as well. Was she hung on the tree before or after she started decomposing? Before. With her murder, she is actually tied to the tree standing up and the weight of her body collapsing was part of the reason why she was decapitated because the rope cut into her neck and she died of asphyxiation. Mm. Okay. Three days after the discovery of Mary Lou's body, on November 14th, a gunman held a couple hostage in the exact same area that the body was found until sunrise. Two months after that, on January 13th, 1979, Benton W. Keene, who is Norton's chief of police, found the charred remains of his mother-in-law Diane Dion in the truck of a car on a dead-end road among two other burned cars and a Fiat that was riddled with shotguns. Just out there? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It turned out that she had been abducted the day before while she was out shopping with her daughter. While her daughter ran into the department store, Diane decided to stay in the car And a man jumped in and took off with her in the passenger seat. And when they found her, her body was burned beyond recognition. But the daughter reported her missing, right? Yeah. They found her the next day burnt to crisp. Ooh, crispy. Very crispy. The crispiest of bacon. Mmm, bacon. 
But some people believe that the cause of all the paranormal pandemonium is due to the fact that the land lies on a vortex. Some people think that the Bridgewater Triangle is on a thin spot between realities. And some people believe that it's been cursed by the Wampanoag people who inhabited the land before. Hmm. But regardless of what you believe, the strange past, present, and future of the Bridgewater Triangle is absolutely undeniable. That is so interesting. Yeah, and like I said, I kind of just like scratched the surface. I wanted to touch on as many topics as I could while giving enough background, but there's still so much more. We'll just have to do a part two. Absolutely. But yeah, that's all I have for today. Wow, that just has a little bit of everything in it now, don't it? Yeah, and that's part of the reason why I picked this. You know how hard it was for me to like pick a topic this week? I was like, do I want to do aliens? Do I want to do true crime? Do I want to do cryptids? I got to do a little bit of everything and definitely helped kick my uh, creative juices into overdrive because I was really stoked to research this topic. (laughs) I love that for you. Well, did you enjoy? What did you think? I absolutely enjoyed. I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to do a deep dive even though I can't swim into this topic because I like it so much. It's just a fun topic to research and I highly recommend the documentary that's on Amazon Prime. It's free. It's like a 90-minute documentary. But it has Lauren Coleman, who's the cryptozoologist who's responsible for naming the Bridgewater Triangle in it. And they go to a lot of the spots that I mentioned and get like video footage and mm. I don't know, they have some other fun facts in the documentary that I did not mention. Ooh, so it's still a tasty morsel should you decide to check it. Yeah, it's not going to be just a repeat of everything that I just said. Like, I definitely, there's a ton of stuff that I'm sure I missed. Ooh, now I just really want to go there. We will. We will make it happen. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us on another wild ride. Don't forget to follow the podcast for new episode updates. Rate us five stars if you like what we've been doing. Follow our Instagram and send us your favorite spooky stories to creeptologypodcast at gmail.com. It's been so much fun and we will see you again in two weeks. Until then, keep it creepy. Bye.